just you know looking at it from an objective standpoint, it's like, wow, why why would I do this to myself? If I wouldn't do this to some, if I wouldn't put someone else through this, despite my experience, despite my ability to understand like what's happening in my body, and I mean, no one's no one's perfect, right? Like, so jumping back to that program, the dog crap training, it was like the best thing I could have done. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by Barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to fitness writer and trainer JC Dean. In the world of online fitness content, JC is about as old school as they come. He was writing the good stuff long before the age of Instagram influencers, and that no BS approach continues to this very day. JC and I dive into the worst things in fitness content and why something called dog crap training, yeah, dog crap training, could be the best strength program you've never tried. And if you haven't heard of that before, you aren't alone. There's a fun section where JC goes in depth on the dog crap protocol. I promise it's a real thing. I also want to say, we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend podcast in your app of choice. Now let's get to it. JC Dean, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It's been a while since we last connected, but for those at home listening who might not have an idea of what you do and your background in the fitness industry, give us a little insight into how you first discovered the fitness industry, your athletic background, and how that brings you to where you are today. Sure. So yeah, it's glad to chat. It's good to connect again. And thanks for having me. Um, my athletic back- athletic background is, um, I would say it's kind of, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of standard. I would, I would say for anyone that was involved in athletics growing up, uh, by the time I was eight or nine, I started to get interested in just, uh, playing sports in general. And I was also a pretty chubby kid growing up. And so, uh, that kind of, uh, was an incentive for me to be more active. So I got started with, uh, basketball and baseball when I was growing up around that age, eight or nine. And then as I got older and progressed, I started trying out other sports, trying out, uh, uh, basically track and football. And, uh, I, I really stuck with basketball and football. Those are my favorites. And then as I got into junior high and high school, I really started to focus on, football primarily as the main sport. And this is what really got me interested, particularly in strength training. And I started training, I guess, around 14 or 15 and just fell in love with the weight room and realized that it was something that I could I could easily measure in terms of how much I was improving and how I was getting better over time. And I also liked that it translated to my performance on the field. And I realized the more time I spent focusing on getting stronger and faster and better, the better chances I would have of performing well and and doing well at the sport. And the way that I really found out that this was something I was passionate about was during the senior year of high school, after the very last game, that we had of football, uh, that was it. 
it was over. My athletic career at that point was was done. I had no intentions of trying to walk on and play at the collegiate level. And I realized after that first game that I was like, wow, I'm really actually relieved that all this athletic stuff and all this athletic pressure is over. But all I wanted to do like that next day was just go to the weight room. Like I still wanted to train. I still wanted to lift. I still wanted to improve my bench and squat and deadlift, even though I had no real uh, athletic reason to do so. And that's what made me realize I was really interested in uh, this particular aspect of being athletic, just the the strength sport and the, the strength training and eventually bodybuilding type stuff. So that was essentially my background and how I got interested in it. Uh, when I got into college, I continued training and I met a group of guys at the University of Arkansas where I started um, in college and uh, they were all into lifting. So we all trained after class pretty much every day and I built up a really solid clique of guys. So I maintained that habit. And uh, as I went through college, um, I started to really get interested in the online space. Um, Mostly I was getting my information from the internet and I was reading message boards and talking to people on social media and connecting. Do you remember the names of any of those early sources and message boards you were on? I was talking to someone about this the other day and we were referencing like the old go heavy forums and things like that. Yeah, it's funny because most of all these places are still alive and well um, to this day. Uh, it's kind of just a handful. So Lyle McDonald, uh, his his forum was one of my first like experiences with the online community. And then uh, T Nation, the Ellington Darden uh, High Intensity Board, um, and then Bodybuilding.com. Those are the mains one I frequented, and that's where I kind of started gaining uh, knowledge and nutrition and training and trying to do this sensibly. And from there, social media really took off, and then that's how eventually I came to connect with people like Eric Cressy, Tony Genocor, Alan Aragon, uh, John Romanello, Nia Shanks, and just like all these other people that are in the space to today. Uh, that's essentially how I got started. And um, I had a conversation with Alan Aragon in 2010. We were on the phone and I told him, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in school and I'm getting ready to quit a job that I have. And, you know, I can actually apply and get another job or I can really take this fitness thing seriously and start training people and getting clients. And he basically said, well, I think you're good at this. You've been writing, you've been putting out articles, you've been building a name for yourself. So I think you should, I think you should just jump in and do it. What, what do you think? I'm sorry to interrupt, but what, what do you think your fitness journey as, as someone who works in this industry and as a trainer would be like if you hadn't been producing content? Because when I first came across you, it was I think around 2011, 2012, I came across you as a content producer, as someone who's putting out programs and articles and things like that. What do you, what impact do you think that ultimately had on your evolution in the fitness space? I mean, it was everything, honestly, like, like the ability to publish content and reach an audience that's way outside of your radius where you're living. I mean, that's why I have a career. Um, I started training people. I got certified and I started training at a local gym 
And that was cool. Uh, and I was training clients there, but the fact that I could kind of have a voice outside of those four walls and talk to people that I've never met, never seen, probably will never meet and never see. That was, that was amazing. I mean, that, that was kind of an, you know, this just as well as I do. That was kind of the time when blogging was like starting to gain traction. And that was, that was even a thing, you know, blogging's super old. Like, like it's, it's one of those things that's been around for a long time, but it wasn't really taking off until around that time period. So I would say that was like the best thing that I could have lucked into, uh, in terms of pushing my career. What were the kind of topics that you were writing on at the time? And how did you, in, in that growth of blogging era, especially in the fitness industry, how did you start determining which topics to write about, what people wanted to hear from you? So at the time that I had started writing, um, I had no clue what I was doing. All I was trying to do at that point was I needed an outlet to kind of put my thoughts together and kind of figure out what I knew and what I didn't know. And so I would just open a Word document and I would just write about a topic. It might be at the time, you know, it might have been training to jump higher uh, because I was really into athletics or it could have been training in a way to improve your your one rep max on the squat or it could have been how to manage your your training volume and load and recover. So I was kind of just coming up with these ideas, like I would see people ask questions on forums and then I would write a response and then I would realize, Hey, I can actually, I can actually talk about this a lot more. So I would take an idea and I would, I would just turn it into an article. And that's kind of what I did for the first two or three years. I would just come up with ideas. I would look at forums, I'd look at topics and then I would just write about them. And then at the time I would just like publish it on my site and then post a link where, wherever someone had the question. Who's, who, who's writing were you, did you have someone whose writing you were trying to emulate or, or you were look, maybe looking up to them as a writer? You mentioned some names, people you had connected with in the industry, but is there anyone who at the time you were, you were reading their stuff and just thinking, man, if I could write like them. Yeah. So it's kind of funny how all this stuff works out in hindsight. Uh, I, I was reading Alan Aragon. I was reading Eric Cressy. I was reading Tony Genocore. Uh, reading um, John Romanello, and I saw I saw a lot of them. So some of these guys were posting on T Nation a lot, and that website is very very much male centric, very much um, kind of a hardcore type of uh, vibe. But um, they they were a little different. They they especially Romanello. He he would write in a way that I don't know. He's just really good at what he does, and I remember thinking like, wow, I I. Uh, this is something I need to get better at and something I need to keep doing. So I want to, I want to kind of figure out what they're doing and emulate them. And at the time I was also reading a lot of Lyle McDonald and he, he's super specific and science oriented and he gets really in depth and that inspired me to take a step back and really think like, okay, what, what don't I know and how can I understand this better and how can I learn how to read research better so I kind of just kept practicing over time, but those are the guys I would say that really inspired me and and, and kind of uh, impressed upon me the the desire to at least you know be a better writer and a better communicator. You you mentioned Nia Shanks earlier in this conversation. She's someone who I was connecting with around the time, and her writing the content she was putting out really made a big impact on me. And I, I could talk for 
an hour probably about how exactly that was the case. And, you know, you still see Nia, Nia producing really, really good content today and being actively involved in the fitness community today. What impact ultimately do you think this crop of writers in the space at that time had on the fitness industry as we know it online, especially today? I think it was a huge impact. It's hard to it's hard to say how much it had uh, because the internet's so big and people are getting their information from so many different places. But in general, I would say this group of people that was writing, they they were kind of in the so they were a little bit different, right? So they were a little bit different than a traditional magazine writer. Um, the two issues that a, a magazine writer has is they have a limited amount of space and they typically can't go as in depth as they want and like cite sources and, and really get you know sciency about it because uh, gen you know most of the gen pop maybe not be super interested in that and then again it was a space thing right but with blogs and articles you could write as long you know online you could write as much as you wanted so these people I think had a huge impact because they were they were coming at this from a different perspective you know you can you can call them evidence based writers or evidence-based coaches, whatever you want to say. And they would, they would break things down and get really nitty gritty with it. And they would cite sources and look at papers and say, well, I think this is the best protocol based on this, you know, these three papers on protein synthesis. And I think this is the protocol we should follow based on this instead of just saying, you know, well, for 20 years, bodybuilders have been eating this much protein. So we know this is what we need to do. And that's our recommendation, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all, uh, but they they did something different. They kind of took a more evidence-based approach, and I think that kind of set the tone. Actually, I know that set the tone for what we have now in this space, which you know, evidence-based fitness is really popular, and it's all because of these people that decided, hey, I'm going to have a voice and write about this. If you could go back in time and give one piece of advice writing wise and fitness call it in the fitness content realm to a younger JC Dean. What do you think that would be? Two things would be one is just read a lot more like read way more and not just, not just fitness science stuff, but just more in general, just to, just to improve, be able to improve my ability to write much quicker. And the other one is much more technical um, and that would be to go 100% all in on the idea of uh, SEO and be really, really adamant about blending the, 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 you know, the process of writing for the search engine to get traffic, but also making it very personable and something that the, the end user wants to read, you know, someone in the audience. Because you know, I get, I get pretty much all my traffic from SEO at this point. And my, like I said, my only regret is not taking it way more serious. Uh, you know, back when I first started writing, because my, my site might be getting four times as much traffic as it gets now. So that's what I, that's the advice I'd give myself. How does your knowledge base and mindset when it comes to fitness compare now relative to what it was say 10 years ago when you were just starting to write online? Uh, I have a, you know, it's, it's interesting to look at this stuff in hindsight because when you don't know what you don't know, you, you, you think, you know, more, right. You think that, you know, I can, I can go back and look at my old writing and see that I was really narrow-minded in some aspects and had certain ideas that 
we're just kind of just one-sided. And do you have any, specific, do you have any specific examples of those? Sure. So I used to think that like, let's just take training for instance. Um, I used to be really, really rigid and think that training had to fall under a certain, you know, style and a certain set of rules. So if you're not training the body part, at least two times a week, you're failing. If you're not going to the gym four days a week, so you have the maximum amount of the right frequency, you're failing. If you're not, you know, using certain movements, you're failing. And this really got me into a lot of trouble uh, earlier on as I was training on my own because I was using the flat, you know, like a straight bar, flat, uh, standard bench press. And I hurt my shoulders a bunch. And I could have avoided all that if I realized I don't need to use a straight bar because I'm not competing in powerlifting. Um, I, I don't need it to build muscle because I can load using other tools, uh, dumbbells, machines, uh, whatever else. You know, there's a whole bunch of uh, other tools you can use. So that's an, an example that I, I look back and I realize I could have saved myself a lot of pain and frustration if I had have been had more of an open mind. Uh, but I feel like a lot of that stuff you can only get through experience. You know, there's nothing that anyone could have told me at the time that would say, hey, you know, this is going to screw you up. This is going to, you know, this is going to set you back. And I just had to kind of figure it out, you know. Tell me a little bit more about doing too much syndrome. It's a, a term that you use in a lot of content you produce. It's all over your website. What is doing too much syndrome and how does a trainer or someone in the fitness space diagnose it? Sure. So I think it's, I think it's a, an easy concept to, to kind of understand. I think it's hard to uh, see yourself um, in, in this problem, like with this problem. And like, I can, like, I can give you an example. So someone will come to me, they'll say, Hey JC, I've been working out for X amount of time. I've been watching my diet and I'm just not getting the results I want. And usually this person just, they, they want some help. They want some coaching. They want someone to, to kind of lay it all out for them and tell them what to do. And within 20, 30 minutes of chatting, I can basically lay out what this person is doing and why it's not serving them. And, and one of these, like an easy example is someone, they, they typically want to get a certain result. So instead of kind of working back to the fundamentals and realizing, hey, I need to exercise three or four times a week. I need to eat a diet that is in line with my goals. And I need to give this time that person is typically exercising too much or trying to exercise too much and failing because they bit off more than they could chew. And then they're, they're down all these rabbit holes when it comes to certain diets and certain uh, protocols with eating. And, um, this person, if you look over their history of trying all these different things, they're doing something every two weeks. They're like, Oh, well, I tried keto, but it really sucked because I had insomnia and I craved carbs. So I just gave in and now I'm trying a high carb approach and now I'm trying paleo. And then they just kind of jump back and forth. So you look at it over a 12 week time period and you're like, wow, you've, you've done all these things and you're not really getting results because you're just, you're changing, you're kind of moving the goalposts and, and, and changing the way that you're going about this too much. So what I typically do is I try to just scale everything back. I'm like, look, like let's forget the fancy dietary protocol. Let's, let's forget the, forget the fancy eating window, you know, let's, you know, let's scrap this six day training program and let's go down to three days. And when I, when I can get someone on board and they really take that to heart and do it, 
they're, I mean, they just get way better results. But I think in, especially in the Western world and how we've kind of been brought up that more is better. And if you're not, you know, if you're not, if you're not hustling and doing all this stuff all the time, you're a failure. Um, I think we get caught up in this trap of feeling like, oh, there's something better. There's something more. And then we just, we try to do it all. And in reality, if you look at anyone that's accomplished, we'll just take strength athletes or, or athletes in general, what are they masters at? They're masters at the fundamentals. They're doing the basic stuff on a daily basis and they're doing it really well. Most people that are struggling, most people that are not hitting their goals, they learn the fundamentals at one point, but then they feel like, oh, the fundamentals are too easy. So I'm going to move on and try to do something more advanced. And that's where I find they get in trouble. Can you think of an example where you yourself fell victim to do too much, doing too much syndrome, maybe in recent memory as well? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, we'll just, we'll just take, um, we'll just take like, uh, uh, we'll just take a training example, right? So I, I've gone down these uh, rabbit holes before of, of uh, just, just trying to overdo the volume and thinking that, oh, because I've been training for 10 years, I can, I can handle this, I can do this. And, uh, you know, four or five weeks go by and I'm just feeling really like terrible, can't sleep and I'm just run down. And then I look at my training and I'm like, wow, you know, what I started with on week one is I'm, I'm at double on week six. And then it's like, why am I, you know, I would not put someone else through this, right? I wouldn't make someone do this. And a recent, this is actually very recent within the last three months, I was, I was struggling. My joints were aching. I was not sleeping well, just having a hard time. And, uh, I realized I was like, you know, I got to take a break and then I've got to, I got to like just completely reduce the loads. Um, and so what I did is I, I scrapped everything and I just, I picked a very simple, um, the, I, I, you've probably heard of like dog crap training, right? It's a, it's a very low volume, higher intensity type of training modality. And, you know, in terms of work sets, you're, you're not getting more than 15 to 20 actual reps for each movement that you do. So you're not, you're not overloading the volume at all. And, uh, so I, I, I scrapped it and I went down to that. And then within a couple of weeks, I just felt so much better. Um, I still had to manage the intensity obviously because it's a high intensity type of program, but just, you know, looking at it from an objective standpoint, it's like, wow, why, why would I do this to myself? If I wouldn't do this to some, if I wouldn't put someone else through this, despite my experience, despite my ability to understand like what's happening in my body. And I mean, no one's, no one's perfect. Right. Like, so jumping back to that program, the dog crap training, it was like the best thing I could have done. I've, it, I've never heard of dog crap training before. You have to, you oh. have to enlighten me a little bit here. Okay. So there's a, a guy um, named Dante Trudell. He's really kind of famous underground and like the bodybuilding space. And um, his name on a forum was dog crap. And he would write out these training programs. And that's why they started calling it dog crap training. It's kind of silly, but it's stuck and it's really famous in the bodybuilding space. Um, but it's actually really simple. You, you have two training days and you just alternate those every other day and you pick five or six movements uh, total and you, and you hit them, hit the, the main body parts. And you just pick a rest pause set for each body part. So one day you may do uh, chest, biceps, uh, shoulders, and calves, and 
and uh, you'll do a set for all of those in a rest pause fashion, and then you're done. And then the next day, you train quads and hamstrings and glutes, maybe upper back, something like that, and then you're done. And it's it's like a it's a complete opposite end of the spectrum from a high volume approach. Dog crap training. I'm gonna have to look that up. I mean, there, there are having been in the fitness content space for a while myself. I'm always a little surprised when I hear about a protocol and the name doesn't immediately stick out to me. So. I've been frequenting the wrong forms if I haven't heard of dog crap training. Apparently, it's it's the hotness. Yeah, you're just in a, you're just in a different uh, you know really in the string sport world. So I'm sure they're not utilizing uh, that type of training. It's probably not as effective for them uh, as you know this would be for bodybuilders. I, I I just like to think that actually everyone's just been hiding dog crap training from me. And like when <laughs> I walk into a room of other people in the fitness industry, they're just like, just like Shh, David's coming. Like don't talk about the secret dog crap protocol. Don't tell him. Or, yep. or maybe they're just calling it dog crap so I like, won't be interested in it. And this is actually the secret I've been looking for over the past 12 years. And this is like what's going to take me to the next level. And they're just like keep it away from him. Name it something he'll hate like dog crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, if there's one thing you could magically change about the fitness industry, funny names for training protocols aside, what would it be? Uh, I try not to be too much of a moralist on this, um, but I'm just going to say I, I would make it harder to, to enter the space. And I don't mean like you need to get a fancy degree or you need to get like a master's or a PhD or anything like that. But I would make it harder to enter the space as a as a trainer, just in general, because the fact that it's so easy to enter, it it does two things, right? It makes it incredibly saturated for anyone that's working in this space. And it also makes it really hard for the consumer and the person that's really trying to get help to find someone that can truly help them. And it just makes it hard for everyone in general because especially now with the way uh, Instagram has really blown up in the last four or five years, anyone that diets for 12 weeks and gets a set of six pack abs can post a bunch of photos, get a huge following and then start writing programs for people and doing coaching. And you know, as well as I do that coaching is not just, you know, giving someone a macro plan and giving them a training program and say, okay, do this. It's, it's way more in depth, right? But the end, the end consumer doesn't truly understand this stuff the way we do. So it's hard for them to, I mean, it, there's so many things they don't know they don't know. So they see someone online, they're like, oh, he seems like a nice person. He's got, he's in good shape. He promises me he can do all this for me. So this is what I'm going to, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And then they buy a program. They don't get the support they need. They get frustrated. They start to feel bad and down about themselves because they can't, get this to work and the reality is is that person just wasn't qualified who do you think in the space today is putting out good content good advice who do you look for who do you look to in the space today and you think you know they're they are doing good stuff right now and i would actively recommend the content they're producing to anyone who's interested in learning more about health and fitness Sure. So these are just some uh, just off the cuff ideas. Um, Kate Galliette, she is really good with movement in general. She's one of my favorites uh, when it comes to uh, moving and, and basically getting your body to do what you want it to do. Uh, mobility, um, 
that type of thing. She's really good with that stuff. Uh, another group is uh, Gold Medal Bodies, and um, they have they have like a handful of people that run the company, but they do a lot of body weight stuff and a lot of just movement stuff in general, and they're doing really good things. Uh, I, you know, Tony Genocore is always putting out good stuff. Lee Boyce uh, puts out some really great stuff about movement. Um, I could keep going, but but those are the people I really like, and I, I tend to I tend to follow that I think are doing really good stuff. Um, uh, the guy uh, Jay from a workout routine, um, he's constantly putting out amazing stuff as well. So there's a whole bunch, but that's who, that's who come to mind. Love it. What is the next frontier? when it comes to fitness and recovery. And I don't mean fads. I don't mean like the next fad diet or the next dog crap training protocol. I'm kidding by that one. I'm about that one, by the way. But what is the, the next big thing in, in strength and wellness that you think is actually going to catch on in a lasting capacity? So this is really interesting. I think about this stuff quite a bit. Um, I, think there's, I think two things that come to mind for me is... So, are you familiar with a company called Whoop? The, oh yeah, the fitness band, the fitness band. We do we do a, a good bit of work with Whoop at Barband. Uh, full disclosure: we've done some sponsored content with them, so they sponsored some sections of our site. And I actually recorded a podcast with Whoop's CEO Will um, a few months nice. ago. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So I, I'll just say it: I've never used the band. I don't. I I've only listened to their podcast and read about the technology. Um, I've used other fitness bands like Fitbit and some other stuff like that, but. One thing I find really interesting about Whoop is they are they're trying to take as much of the biofeedback stuff and and kind of put it in a in a, a format that we can actually use. So the thing I think is interesting about them is they're working with athletes and also gen pop people who are just really interested in fitness and they're building this technology that essentially allows you to monitor your own biofeedback on your own and look at your app and look at what's going on and be like, Oh, I didn't sleep very well last night. So I should actually make today a recovery day and not push myself because I've got a hard workout coming out two days from now. And I got to make sure I'm ready for that. Uh, they do some HRV stuff, which I think is really interesting. Heart rate variability is kind of one of those things that's been around for a while, but I don't think anyone's really been able to kind of crack the code on it and figure out how it truly applies. I know there's a lot of like ideas and people have some concrete stuff on it, but I think it's just going to get better and better and better the more we use it. So I think that is one thing that, um, from a recovery standpoint, like I think the use of technology is just going to skyrocket in terms of what we know, especially with AI and machine learning and how these things are kind of coming together. Um, but the other thing I think, you know, and I could be totally wrong on this, but I think something that's going to happen is, so if we kind of look at the waves, right, like everything kind of comes and goes. So before the advent of like internet and online training, people were going to gyms and getting personal trainers. And a part of that whole thing was either you go to a commercial gym and you get a personal trainer or you go to a boutique gym and you get like high end level service uh, that you pay a lot more for, but you get a good qualified trainer and that person coaches you one on one. And then and then it started to move into online coaching and then, so now everybody's kind of looking at this like, well, I don't need to pay X amount of money to go to the gym. I already know how to train. I just need someone to give me a program and do give me coaching from afar. So I think the next thing that is probably going to spin off of this is I think, I think 
people may actually end up getting frustrated with how much there is in the online space and how hard it is to find someone that can help you. So I think people may actually start going back to the local and looking for someone local personally that can help them. And I feel like the boutique gyms may actually see a bump in enrollment and uh, people going there to seek out help because, you know, once the, once the online stuff gets so saturated, they're like, well, I've got all these online trainers that I've had, I've struggled with and I've not, you know, found anything good. So I'm going to go back to someone in person. Those are, that's something I, I think may end up happening. Gotcha. Where is the best place for folks to keep up to date with the content you're pushing out and for them to follow you on social media? Sure. So uh, just my website, jcdfitness.com is where all my writing goes. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, um, just at jcdfitness. I'm on Instagram, which is at jcdean. That's D-E-E-N. Uh, those are the places that I hang out the most. Awesome. Well, JC, thanks so much for taking the time and joining us today. Always great to catch up and to talk to someone I consider to be you know, a member of the old guard in the fitness content community, but also doing great things today. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. <laughs>